On the homepage of the Open Compute Project, it describes itself as reimagining hardware, making it more efficient, flexible, and scalable. Join our global community of technology leaders working together to break open the black box of proprietary IT infrastructure to achieve greater choice, customization, and cost savings. End quote. Started by mostly large organizations with massive buying power, it might be easy to dismiss OCP as a project for other folks. But the OCP is starting to impact the market in many areas, including networking, for a matter of fact, which is what we're going to talk about today. And to catch us up on what the OCP networking project is up to is co-chair Carlos Cardenas. Carlos has written some of the most outspoken articles on PacketPushers.net, having zero trouble speaking his mind. So, Carlos, let's jump right into the conversation with uh, with this very simple, straightforward question. Give us a quick overview of what the Open Compute Project is. Sure, no worries. So, first off, we'll start off with Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> G'day, Mike. How's it going? Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Good right? day. Top of the day to you, sir. Tea and biscuits. <laughs> I'm an American. I got nothing. Right. <laughs> so what is OCP? So think of OCP as a roundtable of hardware manufacturers, uh, technology consumers, uh, individuals, hobbyists, and whatnot, set on developing the next generation of hardware. Originally, the scope was data center, because at the point where some of the bigger guys, as, as you mentioned, were scaling and, and growing at a rapid pace, a lot of them had this cruft, I'll call it, where essentially it's for every server they're buying comes with like a CD-ROM drive, a video card, um, like 20 USB connectors, um, an iDRAC, or, well, yeah, or yeah. some other proprietary uh, lights-out management system or a bunch of crap something that like that. Maybe you don't need. Exactly. And all of that that people typically ignore is all of that uses power. So if you don't need it, you're still wasting power. That's your CapEx and even your OpEx expenditures going with that. So you're paying for these extra peripherals up front, and also you're paying for it every month. So the idea was, what if we can get rid of all that if you don't need it? And it started down the line of Okay, so Facebook in 2011, um, you know, open sourced or released this thing that they're calling their open compute project. It was just a project within Facebook that they did to show what the, you know, the course of actions they took to kind of help minimize their CapEx and their OpEx expenditures as they're going through lots of growth. And originally we saw like the first open compute server. And the first open compute rack um, that used DC power to kind of minimize the number of times you transform AC power to DC power. Um, and also, you saw the removal of a lot of these unused peripherals. And this was all in the name of saving, uh, saving power, being a little bit more efficient. And what was interesting was, you know, over the years... Um, you know, more iterations of the hardware occur, more iterations uh, of the software, the firmware occur, uh, better design specs for the power, airflow, etc. And I guess it was, uh, what, 2014 that um, Zuckerberg went on stage, or and even some others, uh, went on stage and announced just within the last few years of them switching to this uh, vanity-free hardware, they were able to save, you know, a few billion dollars. Um, just in the operating expenditures. 
And that was kind of something, you know, they were kind of on the roll, so to speak, to kind of help them be mm. viable in their in their industry. It's just been a creep over the years to just keep adding stuff into our boxes. Nobody's ever thought, let's take some stuff out, let's rethink our networking and strip it down. And that that's applied to software as well as hardware. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, in, in networking, you know, that's kind of the, the focus of, of, of my area. That's exactly what it is. It's like, why do I need to carry around this cruft of uh, unused protocols in my code base if all that's going to do is cause me issues uh, during mm -hmm. operations? Which is exactly what happens, you know. <laughs> 802.1x causes the Nexus 7000 to crash. Yeah, but you're not using 802.1x, right? You know, it's that sort of stuff. And, but it also applies to... Uh, chips and silicon that's inside of your switch as well. Like, you know, what? how much power does it take to keep a supervisor module running in a chassis-based switch when, you know, and quite often it's quite a bit, like, you know, 500 watts or a kilowatt, which, which is a vast amount of power just to keep the supervisor running. Um, and how many functions on the supervisor are relevant? No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, Carlos, you mentioned uh, power concerns and Facebook saving billions, and you know they're huge. And I got to say, when I think of the Open Compute Project, I think of companies that have these concerns as being huge companies. But if I'm a small company, I'm a typical enterprise, I've got a few small data centers, does OCP help me? So at the beginning, there is really few concerns for, you know, what I would call mom and pop shops. Um, mom and pop, you know, that you can think of them as, as even some of the bigger companies you're thinking of because they're not of like the hyperscale uh, size. And, and the reason I say that is at the very beginning, there was not much of a distribution system, you know, a channel-based system for, for folks to order less than a production run <laughs> or... <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, didn't have the resources to speak the local language where these manufacturers were occurring. Uh, in, in this particular case, they didn't, they didn't speak Mandarin, right? They didn't know how to negotiate. You know, it's, it was a lot of barriers to, to entry onto this. And so at the beginning, it was very difficult. And this was just people just buying, wanting to buy a compute, you know, to kind of leverage, uh, you know, some of those cost savings. Um, over the years, what we've seen is we've seen a better transition to the service providers, to the distribution, to channels. You can actually buy hardware that's smaller than the production run. Like right now, if I go to like Hive, uh, which is a system integrator um, from, I think, Cynix, um, you know, I could actually buy a couple servers. I don't have to buy a couple racks or a pod. And then, of course, or, I get or a hundred of them, or 50. yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, like in the early days of OCP, it was like you've got to buy at least a hundred racks and yeah. or a hundred switches, or you know, or a minimum production run was a thousand switches or something like that. Yeah, it's insane. And, and nowadays, you know, it's we don't have some of these problems anymore. And what happened was the ecosystem around, um, you know, the stop process and whatnot caught up. Um, you know, people were able to kind of. Uh, adapt to this new world, so to speak, and and start bringing their own value add to that. So, for example, some companies are better at logistics than they are building hardware. Some people are better at supporting other customers with solutions versus, um, you know, insert you know making a new motherboard or you know so to speak. And and so we saw more people join in. And providing their own expertise into in this ecosystem, and we're now seeing more adoption um, to, to some of the smaller players. 
But what also helps is through the years, we also saw that uh, OCP was originally set up for a greenfield deployment, meaning we're building data centers from scratch. So when you when you do that, you can reimagine how you do mm. uh, the data center design, how you do power distribution, how you do airflow. But not everyone has that capability or that flexibility. Sometimes they're stuck in a colo. Sometimes they're going to make they're going to it's going to be an evolutionary process for them. You know, uh, around 2013 or so that, you know, with enough customers and end users saying, look, this is we want to do this. We want to get some of these cost savings, you know, the econ- economies of scales, but also, in the, you know, the OPEX savings. But we don't have the ability to just rip out all our power and infrastructure to go to this you know, new way of thinking. And so what we saw started seeing was new form factors, in particular, the standard 19-inch form factor that a lot of people have. Um, so we first saw, you know, the Roadrunner, the Cathlete servers, which are the Intel and, and AMD variants of some OCP twi- uh, servers. And so these were just vanity-free, um, standard uh, 19-inch servers. <laughs> vanity-free means unbranded? Uh, vanity free means a lot of those peripherals are just gone. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, okay. So vanity free means none of the extra stuff that nobody uses. Yep. The CD-ROM drive right. and the fifteen extra USB ports and. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. And the keyboard so, controller and the. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Carlos, the uh, the OCP didn't have a networking specific project in the beginning. OCP's brought broken up into a, several different projects. There wasn't a networking project in the beginning. So when did the networking project start, and, and what was the reason behind that? So at the beginning, you know, their initial focus, because the team was only so big, and most of their, their focus was in compute and rack. I mean, storage wasn't even the, one of the first projects. That, that came in like a year or so later. And when storage came in around 2012, they realized, oh, wouldn't it, don't we have to connect the storage to something? <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, so sometimes, you know, they're thinking, well, we can just do direct connect. And, and it's like, well, that doesn't scale. And and so they had this like working group, something like that called like interconnect working group or, you know, just something just inane. Um, and a lot of it was just they didn't have the right people uh, to, min- you know, to bring it up. It's like we probably need a, a full fledged networking group to kind of uh, go across the, the issues because a lot of them, they weren't there. A lot of the networking people just wasn't there at the time. And, you know, over the course of 2012 and whatnot, it, it finally came to a head. It's like, yeah, we kind of need um, this, you know, our own separate project to kind of hit some of the, you know, talk about and, and resolve some of the issues that we're, we're seeing. So in May 2013, the um, OCP formalized the networking project. And the whole goal of the networking project was to build an ecosystem that is open from all the way from the the ASIC all the way up to the stack. Basically, this was the idea of network disaggregation. You separate the software from the hardware like we do in servers. And their initial focus way back when was, you know, uh, tours and spines, uh, just because this was in a class network. And and that's kind of where we saw some of the first hardware contributions come in. Uh, can I was in, can I ask you a slightly tangential question? 
Sure. Um, the first version of Open Compute was obviously targeted at the mega scale cloud. You know the what they call the Fantastic Seven. You know Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, so forth. Was there at any point a sort of a sense that if we could get this into the mass market, the volumes would increase? So, you know, the the mass market, the the, the smaller and the smaller the mid giant enterprises, they buy a lot of switches too, and in fact, far more than other companies do, especially if we could get a product into the campus. And increasing the volumes would then reduce the price further. Theoretically, the, the greater the volume being purchased, the price the, the unit price of these switches could be reduced. Is that a part of the consideration? Oh, most definitely. Like, at the beginning, it wasn't. Um, at yeah. the beginning, you know, the focus was data center, data, you know, with the blinders on. And mm. it wasn't until a little bit after I joined... Um, uh, the networking group, and even a little after um, when I was elected uh, co-chair of the group, that it's like there's so much more potential to the networking side of things than any other project inside open, you know, OCP. And and that's when we started, you know, ta- having this open discussion with folks on what can we do to kind of help everyone in networking, and rather than just the data center networking folks. Um, mm. But still, today the main, still the core of everything is still around data center networking. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you know the, the ability to turn. I mean, the campus networks that we have. I don't think anybody actually desires to change those, or there's any innovation we can actually bring to them because I think Ethernet's pretty much, in terms of connecting desktops, is pretty much a dying thing. Everybody wants to be wireless or, you know, 3G, 4G or even 5G. And the idea of, you know, putting cables to desks is like, why would I do that anymore? Yeah, unless you're a big financial. Hmm. Yeah. So, Carlos, you said you were specking uh, a disaggregated switch separating hardware from software, starting from the ASIC and going all the way up. So does that mean you as OCP... uh, we want this switch to have this Broadcom chipset in it, or was it more like we need an ASIC that meets these requirements? So at the beginning, it was, and it's probably still true uh, to some expect, uh, aspect today, um, we kind of have this laissez-faire uh, attitude, more like here are some of the requirements. We need to be able to boot any network operating system on the box. Um, we need to be able to support these particular protocols, it needs to be able to, you know, have these mechanical specs, so it should be able to fit in not only a 19-inch rack, a 21-inch rack, um, and, and, you know, a few other things. And that's mostly specified by end users, uh, as big as Facebook or some of the financials. But even as small as some of the, I guess what I would call it, some of the larger enterprise customers, um, if you can imagine, they're small. Because <laughs> uh, and, and, they have input as well. And, so, so and, but not specifying a chipset then, but, but specifying, again, general requirements and then looking at a manufacturer and going, okay, based on these requirements, could you build us a box you know, to this cost specification that does these things? And then kind of... So I, I, I attended one OCP meeting going back a couple of years now, and it seemed like there was some back and forth conversation about the, you know, we'd like this in the spec. Well, if we do that, it would cost this much. Mm, I don't know if I want that in the spec anymore. You know, these kind of things. Yeah. So what you witnessed was basically a discussion for uh, what's called a rack management switch. Um, so basically this was 
uh, discussion to bring in a small, somewhat unmanaged, only capable um, switch for the out-of-band network or the management network. So the idea that this box is basically going to be in every rack, it needs to be as low cost as possible, and it needs to have, you know, I, I think we ended up settling, it's like 100 meg is fine, you know, a gig is, is, is okay too, uh, based on price, you know, per port. And, you know, it doesn't need to do this many ACLs, it doesn't need to do, you know, mm. this much, you know, um, insert other protocol, it's just management network <laughs> and yeah it and, just needs to behold a couple of thousand you know tcam entries it needs to be one gig it doesn't need to be like super low latency or any of that sort of stuff it just needs to be focused on a pricing point exactly and exactly but, and from that a couple of years ago we saw the first introduction of that switch in a more commercial form factor from celestica uh being sold through penguin and it's it's the RMP switch, rack management uh, platform switch, and um, you know that that's actually a pretty nice box. I actually have one right here in my office. If only y'all could see that. <laughs> so so that was one very specific example, an out of band switch, which I can see being extremely cost driven. Are the conversations for the other hardware pretty much that way, where there's a lot of cost and design trade-offs. Ah, I can live with, I don't know, fewer TCAM entries if we can get the box cost down another you know, 100 bucks a unit. Oh, you bet. And, and not only that, but some of the hard, you know, most of the hardware discussions nowadays that actually occur, you know, just within a few customers to a manufacturer. And then once they have something that they feel is uh, meets the tenets of OCP, they typically will contribute that entire design to OCP. So right now, if you take a look at our website, we actually have like 13 different accepted switches, nine of which could be used as spines, you know, in a class network. Um, we didn't, you know, align ourselves with a particular chipset. We didn't align ourselves with a particular, you know, um, CPU module complex form factor or power supply set or common LED functionality or anything like that. We want to see how some of these vendors, uh, you know, the manufacturers, the engineers in combination with the input from customers can evolve their products into something we all can enjoy. Um, so some of the times what, what happens is you don't realize the economies of scale all the time. Um, just because we're still in this early phase of, of iteration. Um, and a lot of this goes back to how in the network industry, you know, everyone was just on guard in their own little silo. Whereas if you look in the server industry, it's like they've kind of been disaggregated since the 90s. Um, yeah. So what, what's happening right now is the network engineers, um, and, you know, in, in terms of the folks actually with the uh, spec ANs and OSCOPES and all that, you know, building the hardware, they're going through this process of trusting one another, especially when it comes to the designs and such. And we're starting to see the benefit of that, you know, over the last couple of years. We actually see people using the same uh, power, uh, you know, there's the same PSU form factors, the same uh, logic to do power, the same type of, um, you know, uh, PCB boards and whatnot to do fan and, and AC control. Um, and we're even starting to see people settle down on common uh, CPU module complex interface boards. And it's just mm -hmm. like, 
wow. <laughs> you would <laughs> never have thought. That is just almost unthinkable because every vendor used to tell me that their CPU selection was the best, you know, like MIPS or, uh, you know, all the different CPUs we've seen in the past or, you know, only they knew how to build the FPGA that drives all of the physical parts. Like there's an FPGA in there that drives the the fans and the sensors and the boot cycle, you know, brings up the ways for the power to stabilize and stuff like that. You know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have believed that they would agree that there could be just a standard board for all that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, and, and you know, in the networking group, it's like Omar and I, we're not like driving people. It's like you must use this particular design or whatnot. We're just letting it off, you know, just hands off and watching them do this organically. But there's an yeah, advantage if everybody agrees, right? I mean, so it is yeah. in everyone's best interest to kind of settle on something that's good enough for – you know, 80 to 90% of the use cases and just move ahead from there. Some, it's predictable. Exactly. We can design around that. And we know what we're buying every time we buy it. It's, it's a, that's a good thing. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, I agree and, with that. Yeah. And, because and, those, those things don't add value. Just because, you know, Cisco Juniper Brocade makes a power supply and designs it from the ground up, does that add any value to your router or whether they go and buy, you know, power supply from vendor A, B, or C, and it's all standardized. The connectors are the same. The power supply output is the same. The voltage stabilization is the same. And there's already, you know, the factories that make them are already producing those power supplies. They can probably, you know, the factories can make a production run of, you know, tens of thousands and then put them in a warehouse and sell them out as they want or sell them to a distributor. Or a middleman could come into the arrangement and say, I want you to produce 10,000 and then go and sell them off to the vendors, you know, Brocade, Cisco, whatever. Um, there's a whole market change. There's an inflection point when, you know, if your uh, power supplies all have the same properties, airflow, power, output, stability, you know, tolerances, you know, all those types of things, two, 220 volts and, and 110 volts, blah, 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 then all of a sudden the cost of a power supply becomes commoditized. It's a bit like what iPhones did to cameras. Same thing's happening to parts of the switch is, is how I see it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thing about it is we're doing it without telling someone they have to do it. They're, it's being done organically because they're figuring it out on, on the, you know, by themselves. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's funny. When you get into conversations with network uh, architects and you ask them how to solve a particular problem, every one of them may come up with a slightly different design. And what's it go back to a lot of times? Personal preference or history. You know, they did this thing this one time that worked pretty good, so they're going to stick with that because it's what they know. And when you really get into the details of, well, does it have to be that way? And, you know, a few of them will stick to their guns, but most of them will go, no, it doesn't have to be that way. It's just, I know it'll work, and so I'm going to go with that. Well, could, could hmm. we change the design to be this other thing? Yeah, we could change the design to be that other thing. You know, when everybody kind of comes to terms on it and is willing to compromise and make some changes uh, a little bit, you can end up with a common solution that everybody's happy with. Yeah, so right now it's like the only difference we see in power supplies besides, you know, is it AC or 12-volt DC or 48-volt DC or whatever is basically the physical dimensions of it based on the box. And they essentially are going to the same manufacturers, whether it's like Delta or light on or, or, or another. And they're just buying, you know, what you said, just pallet loads. Mm. And now everyone can, can take advantage of that. And that's pretty awesome. Now, the one thing I wish we would get to sooner rather than later, probably because it, it, it just, 
it's one of those pet peeves of mine, and that's LEDs up front, you know, on the on the port panel because it's not only is it a hardware CPLD thing, but also you know a, a software NOS thing is. How many colors does an LED need to have to indicate activity, <laughs> fault, and, and a few other, and speed? <laughs> they don't have the pink you're looking for, do they, Carlos? It's something. I mean, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, you, you just get one color for activity, another one for fault, and another one, it's like, oh, with 100 gig, we're going to add like eight different colors. Um, and so whenever you do like interop, when you plug in a, a cable and it's like you see this like red light, it's like, what does that mean? Oh, that's bad. The different oh, color well, for speeds, kind of, you mean, because it's 100 gig and there's so many different speed options if it's a multi-speed kind of a port? That's exactly right. <sighs> so it's mm. like, oh, this red looks like this magenta. Oh, Yeah, some, somebody once <laughs> told me a story about Dell and why there's always a blue light on Dell servers. And apparently the story goes that there was one customer who said absolutely that must have a blue light. And the whole blue light purpose was just to make that customer happy. And they were ordering enough to make that happen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's blue, right? It's, wow. So, Carlos, <laughs> uh, if I'm a, uh, let's say I'm not really familiar with OCP as a, as a buyer, I don't really, you know, I'm not tied into that project. I just kind of buy stuff from vendors or from mm -hmm. resellers, and I buy Cisco, and I buy HP, and I buy Juniper or whatever. Are, are any of those vendors that I'd be very familiar with, are they offering products that would meet OCP specs? So Juniper does sell um, an OCP switch. It's when you buy, I believe it's the OCX 1100. Mm. It's based on the Alpha Network's uh, contribution for, I believe it's a 48 by 10 gig switch. And so this box is basically, it's, it's manufactured and built by Alpha Networks from that design. It's basically painted to look like a Juniper box. It has uh, ONI running on it, so you can manage your network operating systems just like any other open network switch. And it comes pre-bundled with uh, Juniper's Linux version of Junos. So if, you, if, so if you like OCP and you like Juniper, there's, there's a box for you. Um, mm. If you go to HP, HP has a line, I believe they call it AltaLine. Mm. And, and most of those boxes are OCP accepted boxes. Are they available for general sale? I was under the impression oh, yeah. that uh, those vendors had restricted the sale to certain accounts, like you had to be a certain type of account, maybe a cloud provider or something, or was that something they just did in the early days to I think they, control the rollout? Yeah, I think they started that in the early days. I mean, it's it's essentially it's the same switch manufacturer that they've been selling this, you know, from Acton slash EdgeCore. Mm. It's just, you know, in the early days when they announced it, it was, I guess, the certain accounts that would be able to get these OCP switches. Mm. And hopefully by now, I, I haven't talked to an HPE guy yet uh, to verify this. Hopefully by now they can just sell it as readily as their other stuff. And then, of course, when you go to Dell, Dell doesn't have an OCP uh, box, but, all their, but most of their networking gear is what's called open networking. Um, and the difference between the two is... Um, you know, an OCP box, everything is open source, the hardware, um, the bootloader, you know, and then everything, you know, tradition. And then, of course, it's up to the user if they want to go with an open source NOS or not and, and go from there. Whereas for the Dell side, what's, what's considered an open networking box and even some of the boxes HPE sells 
under the auto line is called open networking, where the box doesn't necessarily have to be open sourced, but it has the same tenants as you know an open networking. So it has Oni as the bootloader, so you can install and install whatever NOS you want. Um, you have the choice of you know cables and optics uh, depending on the NOS that you select, and of course you have like the full on support from the vendor that you buy it from. Um, so that's been true from Dell for last two and a half, maybe three years. You know, it's it's getting getting up there. The point being, OCP networking is already having an impact on the the broader market. I mean, Dell made this decision, you know, a while ago that they were going to go open networking. That's I don't know how much of that was specifically driven by OCP, but you know, certainly, you know, the Alta line from HP that you mentioned, the OCX eleven hundred, which I, I I also think that that's the model number from Juniper. I mean, these are direct. Uh, the vendors directly responding to OCP and seeing the buying power there and going, yeah, okay, we'll we'll offer you a switch that's in that model uh, or in that uh, you know that form factor and you know subscribing to this philosophy that OCP has got for building networking. So it's not just it's not just these few big companies doing massive buys with specific network architectures that are benefiting from this. Now it's pushing down into really accessible to anyone that chooses to go this direction could do their networking in this way. And it's still forward thinking for a lot of people. They, you know, maybe aren't ready to, uh, you know, go to a box that's fully open as you've described at Carlos, but, uh, but the opportunity's there now. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, um, if they want to go to a company that specializes in everything, you know, the NICs, the cables, the switches, the software, um, you know, Mellanox is a good vendor that's kind of been embracing open networking for the last several years in a variety of different ways. Um, and they could buy one of their boxes. They have a couple of boxes that are OCP and then their latest one, which is spectrum based. It's not, um, they haven't submitted one for, for OCP just yet, but the box is still open networking based. You can install whatever NOS you want on it. You don't have to run their NOS. You can run like Gmless on it, or you can run, um, I'm trying to think which other NOSes they have. I, th- I think they have support for Sonic. Um, and, and, yes, you know. um, very strong. They have a very strong uh, – rumor has it that Mellanox is very strong with Microsoft and sells a lot of products to Microsoft's data centers for Azure. And the suggestion is is that Mellanox is working hard to get Sonic working on its platform or vice versa, or they wrote part of Sonic. I suspect it's more like get Sonic working on their platforms, but – yeah, I mean, I saw a couple patches back in the day when Sonic was released um, from Mellanox. Just they kind of fix a couple, you know, um, lower level things. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know, besides them being active con- contributors to an OCP project called Psi, the Switch Abstraction Interface, um, and a few other initiatives. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of good initiatives, a lot of good um, karma all the way around. Mm. And we talked a lot about the data center. That's been the context of most of the equipment we've mentioned and so on. What about the campus? What about edge routing? I know OCP's got some interest there. So for the longest time, our focus has been on on the data center. So we've started with, it's like, okay, now that we have hardware, now what do we do with it? It's like, okay, well, we kind of need this thing to kind of bootstrap a, a NOS on it. So we built, you know, contributed ONI. Um, then it's like, well, it'd be nice if we could actually develop and program a switch um, and not have to be tied to a particular ASIC. So it could go from Broadcom to Mellanox to Cavium, et cetera. And that's kind of where an OCP project came out, you know, Psy. Mm-hmm. And then so every time one of these um, issues will come up, um, there's always like a, a group ready to take on that task so that we don't have to 
reinvent the wheel, so to speak, again. Um, and when it comes to, um, for the last couple of years, we've been thinking, well, now that we've been making this momentum, uh, probably within the last year, I'll probably correct that instead of two years. Um, we've been thinking, you know, along with this momentum that we have with data center, wouldn't it be awesome if we can just break the silos and other ver other portions of the networking industry? You know, there are others, <laughs> like the service provider or the campus. You know, I mean, um, so we started thinking, um, it's like, what technologies are out there that allows people to kind of break into the service provider market, you know, with like edge routers? And for the longest time, no one had the chips available. Um, and then, uh, you know, after the acquisition of Dune, there was this chipset uh, called uh, Qumran and uh, Jericho, which kind of made uh, edge routing somewhat viable. And, and, of course, you can also say that maybe some of these newer um, programmable pipeline ASICs, such as Cavium and Barefoot, would also be able to handle the task. But at the moment, you know, we'll, we'll just... I'll, I'll just leave that aside and just focus on on the Qumran just because it's a little bit more of a known quantity to folks. Um, and then from there, we've actually saw manufacturers, you know, standard participants in OCP started um, designing and testing. What if we had a box running this? Um, could we have a viable market? Could we have a, you know, do we have customers or interest? And in conjunction with all that, we saw what if... Um, you know, we heard some concern, well, I'll backtrack. So we, we've heard some concern for some customers, um, especially when I go out and do some, like, financial analyst um, talks and presentations, you know, um, mm. around the country that, you know, I typically like once or twice a year to kind of make sure everyone's abreast with what's going on. A lot of them would say, when does open networking take over networking? When does OCP take over networking? Mm. And you have to remind them, you know, because a lot of them are kind of, they were in that initial hype cycle. And so at the beginning, they're like, it hasn't taken it over, so it must be just, it was just hype. It was just a bust. Mm. And in reality, I have to remind them, it's like, no, we started in data center networking. How many data centers do you run? The answer is like a nice, big, fat goose egg. It's <laughs> like, well, there you go. That's why it's not impacting you. And But it also highlighted the fact that... Um, you know, that, that, that they have to pay attention to more areas in networking than just, um, you know, it as an entire, you know, Ethernet networking as a whole. Mm. And, and so the discussions I had with them, it's like, you wouldn't be impacted um, until open networking or OCP networking started touching mm. campus. Well, and I, I would also reflect back um, on some history. Uh, and in history, I can remember fairly clearly that x86 didn't take off as a platform for years. That is, there was the 8088, then the 8086, and uh, sorry, the 8086, and then the 8088, and so on and so forth. And it really did take a long time for people to get over this idea of not buying your operating system from the same company. There was a time when you certainly always bought your operating system with your hardware. You certainly didn't buy them separately. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and not only that, but you know, I'm probably going to date myself uh, to some listeners and whatnot. You know, back in my day, right? Um, the computers, yeah. you still had the choice of I could buy uh, a, an Intel-based one, 
or an AMD or a Cyrex-based one if I wanted to go mm -hmm. that architecture. Or I could go, um, if I had some, some money, I could buy an Alpha. Yeah, Deck Alpha, yeah. Or, or a MIPS, you know. Um, you know, and, and just over time, um, you know, the market kind of shifted to what people were doing. And a lot of that was just general purpose compute. And so we just kind of migrated over to the general purpose ISA, um, which happened to be around x86. Mm -hmm. and, and so now, you know, with, with this interest in service provider and also in campus, there's also customers there. Because if you look at the TAM, um, you know, the total addressable market, you know, data center right now is kind of like $2 billion cap at the moment. And then there's like a, a yearly growth of like around like somewhere between 8 and 10%. Data service providers, that's about the same TAM. You know, you have like, like around $2 billion, um, at the core. And then when you add on things on, on, on the edges on, on service provider, it's kind of like another one and a half or two or something like that. And then the growth of there is, you know, it's still single digit, but it's, it's not bad. Uh, however, when you go to campus, the TAM on that guy, that's like somewhere between seven and eight billion. Mm -hmm. and, and there's steady growth. I mean, it's high single digits, you know, closing, you know, like the 10%. And, and it's, you know, for folks going more and more to the cloud, you know, as their business model, they're not getting rid of their campus networking. Um, and, yeah. you know, yeah. instead they're investing more. And a lot of that is, you know, as we alluded earlier in this program, is maybe not always an access switch, but more in the wireless. Um, and yeah. that all plays into, into the campus. And, of course, once the open compute organization and the networking project specifically stabilizes and, and you know, things work out, I'm pretty sure there'll be an open wireless eventually. Well... <laughs> so earlier this year did i just year, step on a landmine or something <laughs> <laughs> so earlier this year we saw the first contributions um into not only the service provider area but also campus um in the service provider area we saw two edge routers um based on Qumran. so these are just pizza boxes no special fabric um it's the same chipset as what um, Arista touts in their Universal Leaf platform, your Universal Leaf Tour, or whatever they're calling it. So it's a, it's the same form factor. Um, so it's just one U, um, and depending on one of them, I believe is like 10 gig ports, and the other one is um, one or four. I would have to look at the specs, but I, I know one of them is 10 gig. And yeah. so we saw people start, you know, they're working on because that's essentially. It's a different kind of, well, it's a different NOS, so to speak, if that makes sense. Like, there's different services and, and everything that need to be done in the NOS to support that kind of chipset and the purpose of why that chipset exists. So we have folks right now, um, you know, across the industry writing NOSes for that uh, to, so they can actually have a nice, successful deployment inside the service provider space. On the other side, in campus, we saw the first contribution of access switches, they basically these are PoE switches, and the first set of wireless access points. And so, in campus, we saw you know one PoE switch that can do PoE and PoE plus. You know, it's just a forty-eight by one gig, and then another contribution by a different vendor that can do PoE, PoE plus, and UPoE 
on like the first eight ports. UPoE, um, for those that, that don't abla, is this is like ultra power over Ethernet. Like you can do like 60 watts per port. Yeah, there was talk back when that was announced about you could power a laptop off of it. I don't, I don't know yes. much has come of that, but there was discussion of it. If, if you put your mind to it, you can come up with a good use case <laughs> why people would need that. <laughs> But I'll, I'll leave that to, to, to bear until this um, end user comes to market, and then you'll see see why I'm being a little coy on that. But, um, but yeah, it's just it's insane. And um, so we actually, for those access switches right now, there's actually, those have actually been in production for the last year or so, um, you know, in, in the open networking uh, sphere, not necessarily the OCP networking sphere. And so they already have commercial NOS support along with some open NOS support um, for those boxes. So that's kind of how we got into the campus, you know, getting our, you know, fingers into the pie on the campus side. And then on the wireless access point, there's actually an initiative inside OCP networking that we call uh, CBW, or I call CBW. For, for, for the rest of the people in the country, it's CBW, Campus Branch and Wireless. And, and essentially, we have a group of folks right now um, being led by Bennu Networks in Massachusetts and um, Mojo Networks in uh, California mm. that are working on an open source NOS based on OpenWRT for mm-hmm. these box for these wireless access points. Yep. Now, now both of those companies are unique in that the individual box isn't important to them. Like for most wireless companies that are out there today, their box has special magic inside. Um, and both Badu and um, I'm trying. What was the other one? Uh, Binu and, and and Mojo. Yeah. Now, if I remember rightly, both of those are focusing on SDN controller type deployments for wireless. Is that right? That's exactly right. It's it's yeah. think of it more as you know you provision in the cloud, similar to like yeah. what the Meraki product line is. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so yeah. they would rather see a nice low cost hardware box that they don't have to manufacture, and warehouse and distribute. You can just go and buy it from anywhere because then they can focus on selling their piece of software. And that's another market transition that's enabled by open computers. If you've got a box-centric business model, like you sell boxes and your box has, you know, is like uh, pumpkin spice coffee, you can only buy it from a certain company and everybody likes that flavor, blah, 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 then that works. But at the end of the day, you can most likely just standardize the functions of the Wi-Fi access point. Most of the magic in wireless actually isn't in the box itself. It's in the antennas and in the deployment, in my view, the actual ability to put a wireless base station down and then survey it in its environment. That's where 80% of the value comes from. It doesn't come from the actual hardware itself. That's exactly right, Greg. And that's something with, you know, when people ask me, it's, you know, why is OCP going into campus networking? You know, it's like, what's there to disrupt in wireless? And it's like, Lots, um, <laughs> yeah. and and you know, because one, it's a closed, it's a closed ecosystem again. But two, it's like you know what I tell them is is almost exactly what you said. The whole reason different people have different Wi-Fi access points, you know, in the commercial setting, isn't because of the chipsets or or anything else. It's because of the RF input. It's the antenna design. It's the antenna location. It's your amplifier setting, your high band, low band pass filters, and mm-hmm. all that has to be tuned for your environment. You know, it's a different yeah. setting if I'm surrounded by glass and steel than if I'm just like out in the open. 
if I'm yeah. in a warehouse with quarter inch mesh, right. quarter inch wire, you know, between every row. Yeah. Yes. There is Sorry. a point here, Carlos, that, um, you know, why is OCP getting into campus and wireless? Sure. There's space for disruption there. There's space to bring that open networking model to those markets, but you know, backing up a second, OCP started focusing on the data center because there were a lot of customers with huge spends that could immediately bring the power of their money to bear. This mm-hmm. strikes me as a very different market that OCP, I think, would have a much harder time. Uh, that impact's just going to be tougher to feel because I don't think you do have a small number of huge buyers, uh, do you? I mean, really, you've got a, a lot more buyers, but they're doing smaller spends I mean, how is OCP's work in this area going to be felt by the industry? Yep. So how it's going to be felt is, um, so if we look at it in the data center, how it was felt was mostly, you know, some of the bigger guys going white box and then being supported by either a NOS they develop internally or, a, a, you know, a commercial NOS vendor. In the wireless and campus, What's going to happen is with the introduction for, for open networking in that industry, because right now it's very sticky. So if I buy, like we'll just say, if, I, if my campus networking is, is based on Cisco, uh, I'm, it's going to be, um, what's the saying? I'm going to have to travel through hell and half of Texas to, to change it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's just... It's, <laughs> I was actually chatting to uh, some people in the Slack chat room that we have with um, with Packet Pushes audience members, uh, talking exactly about how hard it is to get vendors to fix bugs. Like a to accept that there's a bug, b to you know agree to it and then log it as a fix to get it fixed, and then to actually get it fixed is typically a six to nine month process, right? You, you know, and and the onus is on you as the customer to recognize the bug, to detect it, to log it, get Cisco to accept it, and after that. You know, or or any vendor. Yeah, I'll just use the word Cisco because Cisco is the bulk of the vendors in this market space. But it takes months for Cisco to then get a fix, put it into the train, and get it back to you. In the meantime, your network is dead in the water, quite often, or you've got to find a workaround. All of the responsibilities on you as a customer. There's no liability or responsibility that the vendor bears in this situation. That's right. That's exactly right. And so they kind of add on to that is. For for open open networking will impact it is when we start seeing you know open networking based wireless access points and and access switches and what will enable the end user now is they can go f- they essentially I'm going to use the term vendor hop they can go from this vendor to this vendor to this vendor without replacing any hardware because um, right now if your ruckus guy uh, is convincing you to ditch your Aruba. Um, what do you have to do? I have to basically do a rip and replace and hope that the, what they sold me will work. Or you do like a, a POC, so now you have like two separate, um, somewhat isolated campus uh, networks. Um, and you, go, you don't get the full benefit of that because, you know, you're not doing the whole survey like you did with the, with the other wireless uh, infrastructure that you put down. And so really for us to to really uh, make an impact is when an end user has total control of their stack that, you know, essentially if if they get to use uh, Greg's uh, word Cisco'd, uh, they can just, you know, only uninstall and then only install new vendor and then boom, they're up and going. 
they don't have to do a resurvey of their wireless. They don't have to, you know, run new cables to the desktop or well, the closets I, or anything. Yeah, from a technical standpoint, sure, that's fair. I mean, it is a little bit of an oversimplification, though. I mean, their operations yeah, yeah, are going to yeah, yeah. be severely impacted by making a change like that. But yes, without swapping out hardware, they now have the luxury of installing a new NOS. And, uh, mm, and, and mm. off they go, although I think there's a lot to be said in what off they go actually means if they make that sort of a change. But still, they've got some freedom now. You wouldn't have now. to change the cables, though, mate. Ethan, no. you wouldn't have to unplug all the cables and you could just go and get somebody else's NOS and put it on and see if that works around the issue instead of waiting, you know, instead of spending, like how many times have you spent three weeks of your life on the phone to the vendor to accept that it's a bug? Too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing from, from not-so-fond memories, Yeah. Yes. From Cisco and others, yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, like if I'm running Cumulus Linux on a switch and I can switch over to, you know, IP Fusion, uh, IP Fusion because Cumulus has a bug or vice versa or whoever it is, but I don't have to unplug all the cables, take the hardware out the rack, put it in a box, ship it back to a vendor, and then have an argument with a sales grunt about getting a refund and getting, you know, and then raising a new purchase order for a different... That just to me is like, that's a no-brainer, <laughs> quite honestly. Mm. Well, Carlos, one more question for you here. We've talked a lot about hardware, uh, hardware form factors and power consumption and design and those sorts of requirements all around, really around hardware. But what about networking that's gone virtual? So we got virtualized form factors out there. We've got VNFs. Uh, there's been a lot of work done to optimize x86 for packet forwarding, a lot of work by Intel and others. Is OCP involved in networking in this regard? Um, for the longest time, um, it would be no. Most more people were, were kind of, you know, still still stuck in the nuts and bolts. Um, not too shy of software, but just not really looking at that. You know, a lot of people will still consider, you know, like OpenNFV uh, not there yet. You know, it's not, you know, at the moment, it's not living up to the hype or to the name, to, uh, you know, to that aspect. Oh, but... Oh, <laughs> Right, 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 right. Like, I mean, it's only been two years since we started talking about NFE. This is the networking market. There's still another eight years before we reach a decade. And it's going to take like a decade for any real adoption of NFE, right? Seriously. Uh, yeah. People in networking I'll, I'll are that. utterly resistant to change. We've been talking about SDN for over five years now. And we're just at the point now, that's five years, right, if not longer, that people are saying, we should start thinking about that SDN thing. Yeah, that, that's a fair point, Greg. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know. That's a fair point. So what recently was introduced um, as a contribution to the OCP networking group just this past week. Um, so, uh, you know, excellent timing. Um, I, I, I guess since I don't know when this will go live, I'll just say the week of September 12th, <laughs> <laughs> 2016. Um, um, we, we saw a, a box contributed by SK Telcom, you know, in, in South Korea. Um, so basically, this is the um, what if a server had a, you know, and a network switch came together in holy matrimony and had a baby, right? And yeah, so essentially... There, what if there was an unholy gangbang and that's what turned out? <laughs> that's something that, that's what Pluribus has been putting out for a while, right? So Pluribus has got a server with a switch in it or a switch with a server in it. And producing products in that sort of category for really quite some time. Yeah. So the uh, what 2013, so the last three years they've been doing that. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. It's exactly the same thing. And it's not just a baby server either. It's an enormous thing. Yeah. Like, so what this know. box is from them is they they're seeing 
more of the NFV workloads coming down their way, um, you know, for 5G and, and others. And they wanted to get ahead of it. And so what these guys did was, um, so essentially it's like a server, you know, it's like a beefy multi-core Xeon server combined with the Intel Red Rock Canyon uh, switch. And so what that basically is, is you have a hardware accelerated NFV application mm, as yeah. opposed to um, mm. something unholy in the uh, NFV space <laughs> with CPU pinning and, and a few other things. Um, so really, they're just getting um, kind of merging the two together. Um, for them, it, it, it's fitting their um, pain points, and they're talking to, or if other people have raised enough interest um, to to warrant them to submit it to OCP, um, just mm. so other people can 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 start getting their hands around it. So of mm. course, this is a, a totally different NOS design because essentially in this in this space. You have like one NOS or one OS just for the server aspect. And then, of course, you have to have like uh, the special driver to talk to uh, the bridge, which is the Red Rock Canyon. And then, of mm. course, you have your NOS running on the networking side to make sure you're doing all the, you know, everything correctly on the ports and everything. And then, of course, you have the, uh, the other driver to go the other way on the bridge. And yep. then now, you know, it's... Um, Whenever they bring up an NV application, now they get full hardware accelerated, you know, mm. anywhere from one to 100 gig support. Yeah, effectively, the switch becomes a nick. The switching ASIC becomes a nick on those operating systems. That's exactly right. Um, is there any documentation that I could go? So let's say I'm somebody who's used to reading white papers and spec sheets and data sheets on OCP. Do those vendors publish that sort of stuff? So if I want to understand the the bus architecture or the pinouts or you know any of that sort of stuff, can I go and get that from somewhere? Oh, you bet. If you go to the OCP's um, networking wiki page, um, mm. which we can include in in the podcast, you know, once it gets posted, um, mm. there's a specs and designs page. And it lists everything that has been submitted. Um, so, for example, what we classify as the accepted hardware, you will find not only the spec sheet, but the design files and test plans. Um, for stuff that has just been contributed, we typically only publish the specs as the, the vendors are still working on the design, the final design files and everything. Mm-hmm. And then once that's been made, uh, you know, been accepted, then we'll make the link to the design files public and then everyone has access to everything. So not only can you have the CAD to bend your own metal, you'll have, uh, you know, the pinouts, the voltages, uh, the tolerances, uh, the thermals, I mean, everything. A lot of, a lot of like the pinouts and everything, it's already in the spec sheet. Um, but you know, for some folks, they like to go a little bit deeper into, you know, down in the, uh, in the rabbit hole, so to speak, and some, you know, just like making PCBs for fun. I, I don't know those people, but, you know, they do. <laughs> well, Carlos, from uh, co-chair of the Open Compute Projects Networking Project, uh, thanks for joining us today. And are you active on uh, social? How can people follow you? Yeah, so um, I'm available on uh, the, on the Twitters. Uh, the Twitter handle is Cobra Commander. Long story on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course, someone else already took Cobra Commander, so I had to, you know, change how Commander was spelled. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I, I blog on packet pushers. And uh, to find the Open Compute Project, opencompute.org, are there any other URLs you'd recommend? Um, no. So you have the basic opencompute.org, and then um, most of the activity that, that goes on in the networking group would be on the wiki page in the mailing list. So that would be like opencompute.org slash wiki slash networking, and then opencompute.org slash wiki slash networking slash spec and designs. Uh, both links will be uh, made available um, you know, in the podcast and whatnot. And then, of course, you know, for those that want to follow in, in, in real time, uh, I advise um, that you join the mailing list. We're like three or 4,000 members strong on that mailing list. So lots of folks, lots of interest. Again, thanks for joining us, Carlos. I am Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter. Greg Farrow is at Ethereal Mind. And thanks to you for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and all our shows over at packetpushers.net, where you can also find our community blog, Carlos, and many others from the networking community sharing their thoughts, uh, technical blogs, and so on about what's going on in networking. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can like us on Facebook, and you can rate us on iTunes. And please do. Those ratings do help us. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.